So we're changing gears a little bit. We've been going through the Westminster for the last few weeks, and now we're going to go to a topic for the next three weeks um, on abortion. And just as a general note in class, when I get a mic, I'm going to hold it. Please feel free to sit wherever you want, but if you want to see the board or discuss, I'd rather you sit up here. <laughs> because running the microphone around to the room is, is distracting. Or sit where you want and come up front when you want to ask a question. Now, if you just want to blurt out a comment or question for me to repeat into the microphone, totally happy to do that anytime. And I think that's probably what today will primarily be. But please be sensitive to those watching at home now or in the future. They cannot hear you if you're not in the microphone. And it, it's, it's, it's a shame. And so it is what it is. And of course, we're having continued AV issues. Mike, if you could shut that off because it's bothering me, it's flickering. So there is a PowerPoint, there are pictures, there are video that go along with this. We'll try to figure that out for when it gets hung on the website. But God is sovereign, he has his reasons. So I'm gonna definitely be going out of order now. Um, abortion. Abortion is a really common event. Estimates range from 50 to 73 million per year worldwide. That equates to 160,000 a day one and a half every second. So as we sit here for 45 minutes, 5,000 babies will die in the world. It's the most common surgery in the world, and it's the leading cause of death. One in five pregnancies and an abortion. So this is an atrocity that's been with us for many years. In fact, it's actually come down, at least in the U.S., in the last several years, thank God. But why now? Why are we talking about it now? I originally planned on talking about this in January because that's the that's kind of the month that we focus on this because it's the, it's the 49th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision, which uh, agree or not that the Supreme Court found a constitutionally protected right to abortion. Well, there's a big decision coming up, the Dodd case this summer that should be revealed that really has the potential to really uh, change or maybe even completely overturn Roe v. Wade. And so it's gonna become a huge topic of conversation. In fact, if that happens, the legal fights and all the talks will now come more locally because now it's gonna be up to each state. And so this will be all over the news and hopefully in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in your families, this will be a discussion and I'd like you to be prepared for that. Also, the pandemic is ending, right? We got this building right before the pandemic and then there was a lot of discussion about how we're gonna use this building one reason we'd want to use it is an outward-facing ministry to the city. And so hopefully, as we're coming out of this, that'll become a little more priority. I know we're praying for another staff member to help in that endeavor, so please do that. This would certainly be one of the candidates, in my mind, for that. I'm not saying it needs to be the thing we do as a church, but it's certainly one of the options. And the third thing is, many of us who have had young people recently finish high school, we know oftentimes as you go out in the world, um, you start your face starts to get challenged, and, and people don't tend to kind of come up to you and say, hey, what's your view of predestination, right? No, they, but they might say, hey, what, what do you think about abortion? What do you think about capital punishment? Different ethical concerns. So that is very often, especially for our young people, not only our chance to, to witness, not only a chance to use those discussions and frame them in moral terms and eventually get to the gospel, show that our faith is rational and reasonable, but it's also where sometimes young people's faith is challenged. So if they if end up being convinced on something like abortion, sometimes they jettison their whole faith, which does question our foundations. But we want to do that. Uh, as we have always done, if you've ever been in any of my classes on these type of topics, there are three things I'm always after. To be biblically faithful, pastorally sensitive, and culturally conversant. 
And that's easier said than done. Sometimes speaking the truth feels like you're not being loving. So somehow we need to speak the truth in love. But we need to talk in a way, in a language that people can understand. They don't read the Westminster Confession. You can't use that kind of language with most of your friends. And so really this, this study is going to, to try to do all of these things. So there are basically two types of knowledge that we use and argumentation that we can use. And this kind of comes from apologetics, how we defend the faith. There, on the one hand, there is something that we, we can have common values, right? Your, your neighbor might be of a different religion or even an atheist, and yet they probably care about the dignity of humanity, right? They, they have certain morals. Now, they may not have a, a logical foundation for those morals, but hey, I'll take what I can get, right? I'm going to find some common ground using their language, and then I'm going to run forward from there. I don't have to defend the past, unless I'm having that kind of discussion. But for something like abortion, hey, you care about human life, I care about human life, let's talk about abortion, right? You can go forward, and now hopefully just stay away from all the potential distractions and pitfalls, all the legal things and all the weird cases that come up, but have a nice moral conversation, a reasonable faith, and maybe eventually a relationship that does lead to the gospel, right? That's what we're after. And sometimes we just say, you know what? Thus saith the Lord, right? Romans 1, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Sometimes if you have five minutes with a stranger, you're not going to reason with them. You're just going to preach the gospel, right? So it really depends on the situation. Well, a lot of times when it comes to our positions on issues like abortion, capital punishment, whatever, we actually don't really know why we believe what we believe. We might think our position is very much a biblical, I can quote, chapter, verse, foundation. And it's very likely that a lot of our position actually comes into this realm, what you might call general revelation or general wisdom, common sense, um, natural law type of things. You have positions that you might actually be, you know, using logic a little more than you think versus straight Bible. And so today we're going to look at this. We're going to, and particularly science and philosophy, things that you can talk to someone who has no biblical foundation, might be become defensive if you bring up the Bible. You don't need to. We can talk in a way, be culturally conversant in a way. Next week, we're going to go to the Bible. We're going to go to church history. What has the church believed? What ought we believe? What, how far can we go to say, yes, this is truly a biblical issue that saints a thousand years ago could have known without DNA science, right? And then I'm even going to ask the question, we've been studying the Westminster, what... Um, it, it, if the Westminster was open back up, we had a little assembly, we're going we're gonna to wicker with it, right? Maybe it needs to happen every 500 years or so. Would you throw abortion in there? Is that something you would put in? That wasn't really a discussion back then, right? So it didn't come. Is it, is it so essential? You remember Dave's rings the other week? You know, there are things that are so central, and then, okay, there are things that are less important. I can have fellowship out to here, but I want my confession to be in here. You know, where does abortion lie in that kind of concentric circles? And, and how specific would you be? Would you make it a, a demand for fellowship to join your church? I'm going to ask those kind of questions next week. And then the third week is where I want to kind of play these two together. And we're going to start with abortion. We're actually going to go to other non-controversial topics like age of the earth, right? That's a joke. We're going to, we're going to open up to like, you know, I don't know, four or five topics and say, all right, let's just look at this topic what in that topic is really a biblical issue, explicitly biblical, and where are we letting our logic come in, which is okay.
So that's where we're going. Uh, before we start uh, with the content, I just want to really hit the pastorally sensitivity of this. Because you really need to decide, depending on the context, who you're talking with, how well you know them, are you in a public setting or a private conversation, that will completely shape how you have this conversation. And it, it's very possible how you have the conversation will be far more important than what you say. That's very important. I'm talking to myself here. Because I can just go with the logical. We're going to be very logical today, right? I probably will get emotional, but it's, you know, but when you're with one-on-one and they start crying, you really need to stop and ask, what am I doing here? What is the purpose of this interaction? Why has God brought this to me? Maybe it is to go through a discussion. Maybe it is a little more debative than conversational. But be very willing to give up all this, right? Maybe you don't need to have that conversation today. Maybe they just need a hug. Maybe they need the gospel. Maybe they just need someone to sit and listen. Or maybe they need some facts to break down their hard-headedness. That's going to take a lot of wisdom that you need to ask for the Holy Spirit for guidance. But please, as you speak the truth of love, model great grace. And that starts today. Now, someone here may have had an abortion or have encouraged someone to have an abortion. So I, there's a lot I want to say to you. Number one, you're not alone. Women in our church have had abortions. You are in Christ. You are fully clean. You are fully capable of serving at every highest level. If you're my best friend now, you'll be my best friend tomorrow if I found out about it. In Christ, everything is new. So I know it will be difficult to hear some of the things today, but please, as all of us, with any guilt that we feel or any guilt that we actually are, have, what do you do with that? You, you run to Jesus. But I'm going to be praying for you uh, through this because it will be hard. Okay. Guy, would you mind opening us in prayer? So you could go, I mean, I've been watching YouTube videos. I've got a couple books I'll show you. You can get to a really nth degree on medical terminology and, you know, development of the fetus and all sorts of things. And so if you want to go there, go there. I'm going to start us with something that everyone here should be capable of after today. You know, some very basic stuff. It won't prepare you for every scenario that it can give you. Um, and that, don't make it up. That's okay. Get, maybe give you a little places where you could do some research if you choose. But m for the most part, for most of us, we're not debating, you know, the Harvard philosopher. Like, and that's what the YouTube videos end up being. Like, man, I could never stand up to this guy. You're talking, with, you're talking with someone who doesn't have all those details either. They've not thought it through. They might be surprised how little they've thought it through. So don't worry about it, right? Don't worry so much. So, so if a guy comes to me and says, hey, Keith, I... Uh, See that book you're reading, what, what's that about? I said, oh, this is, a, this is about abortion. Oh, really? What do you think about abortion? So this is your, you know, your one-minute, two-minute elevator speech chance, right? Maybe. Well, for me, guys, it's pretty straightforward. I think science tells us that the fetus is a human being. And so I believe that human beings have value. Don't, don't you believe that? Yeah, I do too. Well, so basically, it's pretty straightforward to me. 
I think we should treat the fetus as a human being. So whatever that means, I, scientifically, there's really nothing different from me and that fetus. Uh, other than, you know, I'm bigger, I, I now live outside the womb, I'm more developed with arms and legs, and, and you know, I, I have, I'm more independent for now. One day I might be on a machine, but for now I'm pretty independent. But biologically speaking, the DNA in our microscope would be exactly the same. And so I believe in equality of, of people. And so it seems to me that, you know, that this little one is even in need of more care, and so I think we should protect that little one. It, pretty straightforward to me. I, there are a lot of sticky situations and conversations that come, come up with this. I get that, but in the end, I'm just going to ask, would I, would I treat a, a born baby in the same way as this fetus? And then see where the conversation goes, right? And then we're going to get into some of the th ways that they might go, and you might answer more fully. But basically, the way we do this is we humanize the baby. That's it. That's the one thing you take away, humanize the baby. How are we going to do that? Okay, so there's basically two points to my argument in my head. It may not come out like some debate tactic. It may go all over the place. But basically, there are two things I'm thinking. When I'm in this realm, I'm not quoting the Bible. There's a scientific point and a philosophical point. Even that alone, sometimes people don't stop to think. We have biologists, atheists running around the world who are experts in biology making philosophical claims. And philosophically, they're idiots. But because they're so brilliant in their biology, it makes no sense. So there are, th so, and when I say science, this has morphed over time. Science used to include philosophy. When I say science, what most people mean by science today is something that can be observed, right? You can put it under a microscope. It's material. You know, we can run experiments on it and make observations. But philosophy goes beyond that. And everyone you know lives with all sorts of philosophical assumptions in their life. They think they're all scientific, and they're not. In fact, their faith in science is a philosophical position. We could talk about that another day. So basically, number one, my scientific argument that I, I kind of did in conversational tone with Guy there was, the fetus is a human being. The fetus is a human being. That's a scientific fact, really, at least overwhelmingly a fact. You don't even have to say, I think. It is. Science tells us that the fetus is a human being. But now I have a philosophical case. There's never a valid reason to purposely end a human being's life. Or shorthand is, it's wrong to kill. It's wrong to kill. Don't you think it's wrong to kill? Of course you do. Now, okay, we can get into scenarios and specifics, but, but the definition is a little important. There's never a valid reason to purposely, and sorry, the slides would have borne this out, purposely end an innocent human being's life. Purposely and innocent is important because that's what I would say is the definition of abortion. Therefore, the abortion is wrong. I have a scientific case, a philosophical case, which I think the science would tell us and I think your neighbor would agree with naturally. Therefore, abortion is wrong. It's, it's, it's simple in one sense. So what are, the, what are the main types of objections that people will have? And these increase with complexity, thankfully I think they decrease with commonality. What do I mean? Most people are going to be in this first case. If someone is for abortion, somewhere without really thinking about it, they have been led to believe that the fetus is not a human being. So, statement of fact, right? I'm saying that it is a human being, I'm saying science says it is, you're saying it's not. Well, then maybe that's where we anchor the discussion, right? Because hopefully, if I can convince them of this, 
this kind of falls, falls naturally. The second level would be the fetus is human. I actually acknowledge that it's a human being, but that's not a person. So a human being, scientifically, biologically, but it's not a person. It's not, it's not at a point where we endow it with certain values and rights. Um, and so we don't need to, to worry about it. And then the third one would be the baby is a human and the baby is a person, but in this case, the mom's rights outweigh that of the baby. So it's more of a comparison of values. And so if we throw that, and I'm sorry, we don't have the, I guess, shoot, this is different than what I had planned. All right. It's on your sheet, but, so if we take the, let me just do it how it's in my mind. We take the science and we take the philosophy. It's not working too well. Okay. So first objection, it's not human, right? That would be the main one. Okay, so basically, I'm saying it's not human, so basically they're denying, they're denying our scientific claim. We haven't even gotten to the philosophical claim. I don't know what they believe about the philosophical claim I made that every human being you know, deserves to be protected type of thing. It doesn't matter, because I'll agree with them. If it's not a baby, I don't need to talk anymore, right? This is at least not very important of an issue to me. Maybe it's a non-issue to me. The Bible probably does still say, you know, you shouldn't just cut off your fingers. But to be honest, it's just not going to be in my list of priorities to care about talking to my neighbor about, right? If you want to cut off your finger, go ahead. So I would agree with you. If you could convince me it's not a human, I'll leave you alone, right? I'll join you. So this one is, it's a human, but it's not a person. So now they're actually accepting our scientific claim, but they're denying our philosophical claim. So maybe I don't have to spend time defending that it's a human being biologically and all those arguments. Now we have to talk about, well, where do, you, where do values come from? Why do you say that? You know, if, if, it's, if I have to wait till birth, why? Like, why did six inches through the cervix change everything? You know, I'm a twin. When my brother was born, was he a person or I wasn't yet? Like, in three minutes, I'm about to, when, when, you, when you surgically remove a child from the womb to operate on it at the third month and put it back in, did it become a person and then not a person again, right? It, it's, it's illogical. And, and again, I'm really, I'm going to be asking these kind of questions, we'll see. And then the last one is the mom's rights reign supreme. And so there, they actually believe that it's a human. They... Yes and no. They do believe in rights. They believe in personhood, but they're, it's, they're not understanding the equality, the fact that not just equality, but perhaps we should be caring for those who are even more vulnerable than others. So that's kind of where it all fits together. All right, there are four basic things I would say, tactical ways of having discussion. Number one, stay focused, right? Stay focused on this. If they're asking you questions and getting you into politics and stuff and you know they'll bring up all sorts of things well what about the lives at the border you care for them you don't go there just don't go there you you can just say yeah you're right we're screwing that up too let's get back to this right you don't go there there's no it's not important okay maybe we're inconsistent then let's fix this one so we're not we're not consistent not inconsistent 
ask questions to challenge their consistency. Would that apply to a six-month-old? Why, why not? What, what has changed? What has changed from then until now? Kind of put the onus on them. You're not doing gotcha questions, that's not the point. But you are trying to challenge them to be consistent. Because they actually are made in the image of God if they know it or not. They actually have values that they care about. And they're right to have those values. In fact, encourage them. Man, I am so glad you care for a young victim. I, I, I agree with you. Like, show that compassion. And now get to the issue. Uh, that was my next point. Agree in principle where you can. And then, some of you think that you have to add statistics. Great. Some of it, I'll, I'll throw in a couple of that are kind of helpful. Um, throw those in if they help, but don't worry if you don't have those at your ready. Don't worry about it, because really this is an ethical discussion. It's a moral discussion. Like I've said before, well, what if this was true? What would you think? You don't have to go argue and bring up Wikipedia and, and have that fight. The point is, what would you believe, right? You're not on a public stage trying to win a debate in front of hundreds, right? You're just trying to talk to your friend. Okay, let's dive a little more into these. First, I'm going to talk about the science. And uh, there's a great acronym. If you didn't notice it, I used it talking to Guy, and it's called SLED. So four, four aspects to the biological, the scientific case. What is different between me and a three-week-old? What's different? Or a three-day-old? And these are the only four differences. Size. I'm bigger. <laughs> I have more cells in my body. We're all blobs of cells. I have more of them. Level of development. Yes, when you, when you see the picture of a three-day-old, it doesn't look human. But guess what? By three weeks it does. And, but what, what's the difference? Well, there's, there's just development going on. A one-year-old is less developed than a 10-year-old, is less developed than a 20-year-old. Does that make the one-year-old one less of a human? The environment or the location. In the womb versus out. Seriously, what's the difference? Now, it's interesting that probably most people you encounter will be against late-term abortion. And so they, they see right there, well, that's a baby. It could be viable, right? That's the constitutional standard right now, viability. Okay, well, why is that a good standard? Like, again, that kind of dies into the philosophy, but why does that matter if they're viable or not? You know, one day I may be on a machine, or if you live on oxygen, one day I might not be viable. Right? Does that mean I've no longer deserving of human rights? And so don't say in a sarcastic way and like, you're, that's ridiculous. Like, ask them, like, well, what do you think about this? Right? You, you tell me why you can hold both of these things. Because in my mind, I'm consistent, right? And then dependability. I kind of jumped there on the dependability. So size, level of development, environment, and dependability. Just have those in your mind. You don't have to use those words. Have those types of things that you can throw out. Humanize the baby with your language. I would say be baby. I would not say fetus. I would say mom instead of the woman. I would say he or she instead of it, if I can, right? That baby does have a gender from day one. Really does. Scientifically, it has a gender. I just said it. You're not going to avoid it. Now, you might choose tactically. If you think that is pushing them off and halting the conversation, you might make a decision just to adopt a language. That's, I'll leave that to you. Or if you think you're ceding too much ground there or you're lying somehow, you're not being truthful, then okay, then stick to your guns. Now, I would not say murder. I personally would be happy not saying murder, even though I believe it is murder. I would say kill. 
right? Because I think that, number one, that's going to throw up defenses. It's going to conjure all sorts of things about presuming the motives of this woman, um, her understanding that it's, a, that it's a human being, right? There's a, there's a lot of mensa rei type of things, right? What do they understand that they're doing here? So I would be happy not, not using the word murder. Okay, so basically the, the objection is that they deny the science by saying the fetus is not a human being. So there's a few more detailed levels we could go, second stage of details here. The science shows the, the fetus is alive. The fetus is alive. It's a living being. There's no denying that. There are living cells, and those cells are human. So the fetus is alive, and it's human. It's got human DNA, distinct from the mother. So what is it? That's the question you ask. Well, if it's not a baby, what is it? What, is, it a, is it a pellop? Is it a potato? Or what kind of fetus is it? Yeah, okay, I, I agree it's a fetus. What, what kind of fetus? Is it a dog fetus? Is it a coyote? Like, and I know it sounds joking, and I don't mean it to come off that way, but what is it that you something is there. What is it? And biologically, it is not part of the woman's body. Left to natural processes, just leave it alone. A baby will result in eight to nine months. It's, it's kind of like one of the guys that I listen to. I'll show, well, I have his name on the slides. Uh, Scott Klusendorf, I think his name is. He has this analogy of a Polaroid. I go up, I see the Loch Ness Monster. I have one of those old Polaroids, right? You take it and the film comes out and it's all black and you gotta wave it in the air. In a few minutes, an image is gonna be there. Like, I found the Loch Ness Monster, I'm gonna be a millionaire. And someone takes that, pa- that picture and throws it into the ocean. What did you do? That was so valuable. No, it wasn't, it was a black, black piece of paper. No, but left to natural processes, that was gonna be so valuable. An analogy like that might work, right? That's where some of these books and these resources are helpful. An analogy that might work in your circles with your friend might be really helpful to get away from the jargon and just, yeah, that, that, that was valuable because what it was going to be. At the very least, you have to say there's potential life there and how should you treat potential life? 95% of embryologists, here's one of the stats you can know you don't, 95% of embryologists agree that a new living organism, a, a distinct new living being, if they want to say human or not, starts at conception. Starts at conception. There's really no scientific argument here. Now, through the ages, through the centuries, of course, they didn't have, you know, until the early 1800s, we didn't know anything about this ovum. You know, we didn't understand the stuff. Okay, I can understand that, and maybe you would go somewhere in the world or someone in your own neighborhood might not understand these, fine. I can understand that at some point, they might not think that, you know, something new there is a couple weeks or something like that. I understand that. And not that it really matters, but some of the pictures, uh, if we can get to it today, and that sometimes just cuts through all the conversation, it actually looks like a baby really, really early on. It's got its own heartbeat. Uh, Heartbeat comes on the 18th day, way before you know that you're even pregnant. You've got something in you with its own heartbeat. Brain waves by the 42nd day. I mean, you can go all and all, right? You can, you see the pictures, the the 10 weeks old, you see fingers and faces forming. I mean, it, not that it matters that it looks like a human being, but sometimes that cuts through as well. So, you know, there's something human in us, something emotionless that, that that registers in a way that we can't really argue against.
Again, you can ask about late-term abortion, partial birth abortion. If birth is your defining line, so seriously, what about a third of the baby is out? Because that's what happens. Is that okay to kill that unknown living thing? Okay, so that's our scientific type of stuff. And of course, there's a third, fourth, fifth level we could go. All right, the philosophical case. We believe that it's always wrong to deliberately kill an innocent human being, or it's wrong to kill, right? Just basically, but that's what I mean by that. Every person has intrinsic worth and value, and therefore they're deserving of human rights. Now that is gonna be so common with your friends that we have intrinsic human worth. And I know I don't wanna get into politics, but it's, it's, it's a good chance that your friend who is pro-abortion um, has politics that you can use. And I don't mean against them. I mean to show consistency. They are probably advocates of equal rights, right? Uh, of women's rights, of gay rights, of racial equality. Um, and thank God that they are, right? <laughs> thank God that they are. Well, that's all I'm asking. I'm asking for that same approach, that same mindset to be applied uh, to this little one in the womb. So I would avoid arguments that say, you could be aborting the next president, the next Rose Scholar, the next curer of cancer. You might, that's true, but that wouldn't matter. You could be aborting the next drug addict, and I'd say, don't do it. It's not right, because human beings are intrinsically valued. And you can, you can start to see, I will hopefully have future conversations with this neighbor, because I'm laying the foundation of, of really moral and biblical principles that are gonna be important in the future when it comes to the gospel. You care about health care. Well, if it's about health, you know what? Would you abort for Down syndrome or for gender preference? Because that's a huge reason why people abort. Cleft palates? That's why you abort? Why you could, if you know the statistic about Planned Parenthood, why are they so against having normal health care procedures laid upon abortion clinics? That's what they fought against in Texas. They were just trying to hold abortion clinics to the same standards. You have to be within so many miles, you know, ambulance service within 50 miles in case something goes wrong. And they're, no, you're just trying to get rid of abortions. Well, that's true, but I'm using your logic that it's just health care. They'll fight. They don't care about health care. That's not what it's, again, you don't even have to go to that level. Why is viability a good standard? Legal does not equal moral. They will often run to the law. Now, you can run to the law if you have those stats on your side, that's fine. Or you can just say, I, I don't equate legal with moral. Otherwise, slavery was okay. It was an okay thing. Maybe a good thing for society because they decided it. So just don't even go there. You can concede all the legal stuff you want. Right, give it all. Don't, don't have that fight. It's not important. We're just having a moral discussion here. And notice that the things I'm talking about now are philosophical. They're not science. Science can tell you when a fetus is viable, it can't tell you that that's the right standard, right? It can determine that it's a human being, but science can't say that human beings ought to be saved. Peter Singer and these other guys who are really more consistent, he said it's okay to kill a two-year-old if it's not adding to society. He, I applaud him for his consistency, but that consistency came through great evil and suppression of truth and righteousness, right, and unrighteousness. Your neighbor's probably not quite that crude, but consistently they should be. The second philosophical question then is the fetus is human, but, uh, okay, the fetus is human, but not yet a person. So if, if it's not a person right away, if the three-day-old 
clump of cells is not a person, when, did, when does it become a person? Why? Put the onus on them. Why? You tell me what has changed. I have a cataclysmic, I uh, can't remember the words, you know, there's, there's a, the episodic event happens at conception. Something new is created that wasn't there. From then on, that never happens. So the, the most likely would be birth, right? But again, you get into those, really? Five minutes before birth and five minutes after? Really, this is just movement. It's the same being, clearly viable if they care about that. But put the onus on them. Just let them explain to you. They might have some, some reasoning. Let, let them say that reasoning. Why would you say that? That's that environment question, the lo- locale question, the, uh, part of SLED. Does society determine personhood, or is it more intrinsic? If that's okay, if a society decides to discriminate against a certain group of people, treat them as less human, you probably don't want to pull out the Hitler thing, but that is what happened, right? The Hitler and the Jews, they're less human. They're not part of the super race. Um, you could go to all sorts of things. We have in our society fallen into that. Other societies fall into that. It's part of our human condition. We tend to other, otherize people. Is that okay? As long as society agrees that that's a healthy thing for society, is that morally okay? If they're, if they're honest, they're going to say no. If they're trying to win a debate, they might say yes. And just, shouldn't we err on the side of caution? If we're not sure, if I can't scientifically tell you that it's a person deserving rights, because that's a philosophical claim, if you're not sure when it happens, shouldn't you be careful and not kill someone who might be an innocent human being? And then the last one is the baby is a person, but the mom's rights outweigh it. So how do you compare one person's death to a woman needing to go through a few months of pregnancy? And even the way I said that might be a little, a little the wrong way. I don't want to minimize the trauma, the suffering, um, the pain and suffering, the challenge of this woman. I mean, ending pregnancy is hard. And then you throw something like rape or incest on it, um, poor conditions, like unwanted. This woman is going through real, true emotional trauma. So I don't want to minimize that. But if, if who you're talking with is able to have a logical conversation, like what's more important, that which will one day be over, or the death of an innocent child, right? Again, ask the question, how do you say that? Again, kind of using their politics. Should the powerful and privileged, those words are trigger words, right? Should those who are powerful and privileged help to protect the needy? Well, yes. Well, that's all I'm asking here. And then you can ask questions like, well, if a one-year-old baby is suffering to me, emotional trauma to me, and it's putting me into poverty, can I kill it? Is that okay? Well, if not, well, how has that changed? Your argument would be the same. What has changed? Again, I keep going back to the same principles. What has changed from then until now? All right. Answering common pro-choice argument. I'll, I'll choose a few in there. My body, my choice. That one's a layup. My body, my choice. What, just very quickly, what's your... It's not, it's not your body, right? You go back to the scientific argument. It, and, well, number one, you know what? If it is part of your body, I actually agree with you. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to do, have anything to do with your body. That's not what I'm after. I agree. That, that alone, that agreement might actually bond some things. 
The problem is, that scientifically, that's not your body. I mean, thankfully, we are now on the side of GNA. Like, there's, there's zero argument. Biologically, it is a new organism. Medical necessity. Let's throw out a couple things that we might say for medical necessity, and that, that could be all sorts. Agree with abortion if it's medically necessary. Sure, so there's inherent risk with the abortion procedure itself, right? There's this calculus of risk, yep. Anything else? Yep. I mean, my approach to this is typically to, to set all of those other ones aside, you know, rape, incest, medically necessary, <clears throat> and just say, okay, you get all those. Uh, so now 95% of all abortions are illegal. Like, right. Okay, and then I'll give them to you. Uh, just let's go with the other 95%. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a valid strategy. You, again, it's, it's watching the distractions. Logically, you've conceded a little bit, but yes, yeah, the situation, that may be worth it, right? Let's at least get them on record, or I don't know. That sounds like a debate tactic. Um, so, again, I would agree in principle. If, if you would choose to do this in your own situation or not, if, you, if your choice really is life of the mother or life of the baby, to be honest, I, you care about life, it's probably not something I'm going to care that much about. Yeah, for sure, legally. If that was really the situation, what's the problem with that? Medical necessity now includes emotional trauma, right? So you've, legally, you've opened the can of worms to, um, I don't feel good about this. It's really that loose. So be careful, especially in a political or voting situation, of going down the medical necessity road. But at a, at a moral principle level, you know what? As long as you're caring about life, I'm with you. Now, if you have some statistics on your side, this argument is completely fallacious. This is potentially never true. Now, I, that's why I said it's to deliberately kill, right? There are things like atopic pregnancies. There are situations, and Steve could tell us probably more details. There are situations where, or chemotherapy, radiation, right? Dealing with an issue for the life of the mother could end up killing the child. But you're not targeting the child. You're not trying. It might be a foreseeable outcome, but you're not trying to kill that child. I would say that's not abortion. That's something else. That's just a medical risk calculation. And there are situations where if you don't save the mother, the baby's going to die anyway, right? I'm not talking about any of those. But statistically, these are really rare. Get microphone back here, please. Since we're going against what I said. I'm just kidding. Kind of. um, there's a, from the phil philosophy side, there's a philosophical concept of double effect, which the, with the Catholic intellectuals have developed, you know, since Aquinas, that basically speaks to that exact point. And, you know, one example would be the difference between end-of-life palliative care and um, in intentionally euthanizing somebody. So you can know what the potential outcome is of that palliative care, but that's not the same moral decision as intentionally killing exactly. somebody. Again, I'm trying to have mostly a moral discussion. If we can start the microphone to the back, I'll, I'll keep going and come back to you, Leah. Um, how about emotional trauma? Now you are thinking of things like rape and incest. Again, make sure you start with agreeing. That is horrible. I agree with you. 
if you believe this, I believe in capital punishment for that rapist. I am on your side. I mean, agree, like, make sure they know. And again, this is an image bearer of God declaring something that is very important and true. And you don't want to just be countering that, right? I agree with you. This is horrible. But why should the child pay for the sins of the father? Even if this would relieve your trauma, um, what if in two years you find out, oh, this child reminds me of my rape. I can kill it. Is that true? Well, why? Why not? What, what is different from then until now? I keep going back to the same argument. But by the way, it doesn't <laughs> relieve your trauma. This is where you might have statistics on your side. Those who go through with abortion are more likely to be depressed and commit suicide. What's the stat I had? 90, at, at the five-year birthday, those who decided, who were planning abortion and went against it, 96% of those said that they glad they changed their minds. Now, I could go into why those stats might be a little misleading, but the, <laughs> let's call it scientific literature, sociological literature, is not on their side. That trauma is going to be with you either way. In fact, some mothers will say, finding something good out of that tragedy, actually, you know, having a baby that they care for actually is part of their healing process. So don't assume, number one, that abortion will remove the trauma. But even if it did, is that right? Leah? So going back to the medically necessary, I had a conversation when New York passed a late-term abortion law with somebody, you know, and I had just said something on Facebook about, like, how atrocious and sad and awful it was, and it, this friend was like, oh, Leah, you're just so misinformed. Like, this is only when, you know, the mom's life is at risk. And I shared some stats of doctors saying, like, no, like, 0.001% of the time is it medically necessary to murder somebody. Like, it is always, always in the mother's best interest to actually safely remove the child, you know, early C-section interventions or whatever. And it, it actually changed his mind. I mean, it was just one of those culturally ignorant things where it's like, oh, but the culture says, like, this is this, this thing, and, and, and he was totally won over to that. So I think that there are times where science and facts can actually... Yeah, you re again, it goes back to knowing, knowing who you're talking with. Right, like Absolutely. he just thought, oh, I'm so archaic to, you know, want to murder moms, be on the safe of a baby, but it's like science actually says that that's not what happens. So. The last one I'll cover is... Um, hey, being pro-life should be a lot more than stopping abortion. You can simply say, amen. I agree. So you, you concede that, hold up, you concede that um, maybe we are hypocrites. Maybe, we, okay, I'm going to continue stopping abortion and I need to do better over here. Now, statistically, that's not true. There are more uh, pregnancy centers than there are abortion clinics. The pro-life movement is second to none in supporting adoptions and prenatal care. And so you could go to the statistics or just say, you're right. If, if people are doing that, they're hypocrites. And I agree with you. And you don't have to go there, right? You can just stop it at that level. So, and again, turn their hot button political um, leanings back on them. You know, men love abortions. <sighs> Lack of responsibility. If you care about women's rights, abortion is the last thing you should be going for. Because I mean, now you're going to have all the pressure from your one-night stand to have an abortion. Uh, I'm going to skip what is an abortion. We'll hopefully get the video working. I can do that on the week three. There's a place to do that. 
And of course, we're out of time. So one last comment and we'll close. Um, I was just thinking how this society is so much entitled and self-centered. And my liberal friends and family, when I've had this discussion, tell me that really the issue is that people are going to do what they want and that by cutting off abortion, it's just going to go in the streets again with coat hangers and that the people of privilege have access to medical care, but the poor don't. And so they're going to have abortions anyways because regardless of it being a human being, their um, personhood or as a mother, this is what I've been told anyways, I don't agree with it, but they say that the issue is much more complex and that, I don't know. Sorry. Fair enough. So number one, I'd say I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go into liberal, I wouldn't go into political language whatsoever. I would avoid all that because we want to have a moral discussion. And so again, like the other ones, there's two tacks to take there. Okay, morally, is that right? You know, it, in those same people you're talking about are more likely to drug their two-year-old. Is that right? Does, do we want to let that happen? And then statistically, all that is bunk. If you want to go to the statistics, that's not true. The back alley abortion is, is another fallacious argument. But even if it were true, I'd still jump back to the to moral. We are way out of time. So please come back next, next week again. We will talk. What does the Bible actually say about abortion? So we don't, you know, overpromise on that. And then we'll t start talking about how to lead these things to the gospel. Our Father, thank you for these deep, uh, difficult issues. We thank you that your word is sufficient to build up our faith, to defend the faith, and we pray that we would have amazing love for our neighbor, that we'd see them as, uh, as image bearers of God. You'd see them as, as potential uh, pastors and women leaders in our churches and, uh, and just love them, be willing to have these hard conversations and rely on your spirit to give us wisdom at that hour. Help us to not only act like we love them, but to actually love them, to have compassion, to be willing to to put our arms around them, spend hours listening to their stories, to uh, take them to the uh, adoption place and pay for things. Um, help us to be consistent in our own pro-life convictions. And now we ask you, Father, to center our hearts, center our minds as we come to public worship. We pray that the, the music team would be able to focus us as we speak um, words in song that will draw us to Christ. Pray with Tim as he brings the gospel to us that it would come with great power and that we would walk out today ready to, to live faithfully and to preach the word to our neighbors for another week. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.